turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. And tonight uh, we want to look at a minister who is a blessing. Romans chapter 15. Well, as a pastor, I want to be a blessing. But this isn't necessarily talking about a pastor who's a blessing. It's a minister. You know what a minister is? It's a servant. And we're all called to be ministers. And uh, we only have a, a few lessons left in our study of the book of Romans. Last time we focused on the grace that God gives the believer for salvation and service. Paul attributed his confidence or his boldness to the grace of God working in his life. God enabled him to be a minister of Jesus Christ. And uh, God wants each one of us to be a minister of Jesus Christ. So first of all, let's look at a model minister. And we're down in verse 16 of chapter 15 uh, of the book of Romans. Uh, Verse 16 says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. The word minister, again, is a tremendous word. That's a word uh, where you find really in the Greek language, it refers to a public servant. Word contains the idea of a very a generous service. Paul laid everything on the altar of the service of Jesus Christ as a minister of Christ. Uh, the Christian works for the Lord and for men because he desires to do this with his whole heart and because the love of Christ compels him to do so. And also there is the idea that this word refers to the service that a priest rendered in a temple. Now, to the Greeks, that could be uh, a temple of gods. Uh, To the Jew, it was probably the tabernacle or the temple uh, in Jerusalem. But we don't have that kind of a, a, a temple. We are believer priests of the true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to daily serve Him and worship Him. And so this word doesn't necessarily refer to pastors or preachers, but to every one of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now you notice as we go on here, in verse 17 and 18, we see praise for the Lord. He says, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. I believe Paul uh, was most grateful to God for what he did through him. Now it kind of sounds maybe to some people, it might sound like, you know, Paul's boasting here. Well, if he is, he's boasting in the Lord, not in himself. He spoke of only what God had done through him, being careful to give God the glory. Paul explains the nature of his boasting and reveals to us five traits of a faithful servant. First of all, there's the trait of subjection. Uh, This is speaking of humility. Paul was not bragging in what he had accomplished as an apostle, but what Christ had done through him. 
This was his attitude. 1 Corinthians 1.31 That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We have no right to take credit for spiritual effect that we might have, or, but we have every right to praise God, what he's done through us. Now, Paul had many reasons to boast. He was used of God to reveal more of the New Testament than any other man. The great portion of the book of Acts focused on his ministry. In spite of those things, Paul discounted his own merits. Philippians 3 and verse 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 12 uh, says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he that counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't boast in himself, but rather he boasted in his weakness. God used him in spite of his shortcomings. 2 Corinthians 12, 5 says, Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there are given to me a thorn, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He didn't boast about himself. He actually boasted in his weaknesses, if that, if he could say that. And God used him in spite of his shortcomings. And God will use you and me in spite of our shortcomings. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught that things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. People God uses to accomplish his will are his instruments, and those people realize they are an instrument. No one should take credit for what God has done through him. And yet at the same time, we should not deny or belittle what God has done through us. We should give him glory in all things. So the trait of subjection or humility is seen here, first of all. Secondly, the trait of submission, very similar to the the first one. And notice four important aspects of this trait. First of all, God calls men to obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. 
We've been called to obedience. And then secondly, obedience is an imperative in our lives. Acts 5.29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And then we find here that obedience leads to success. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Obedience leads to success. And then the fourth one is obedience demonstrates a love for Christ. Very simply, John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So we're called to obey. Obedience is imperative. Obedience leads to success, and obedience demonstrates a love for Christ. That's the trait of submission. Thirdly, there's the trait of sincerity and solid consistency. Sincerity and solid consistency. Now, Paul had integrity. He preached the word. In verse 18, it says, For I dare, I, I will not dare to speak of, of those things which Christ hath wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and by deed. He was, his life was consistent with his message. It was without hypocrisy. I wonder, what about our lives tonight? Are they consistent with the message that God has given to us? And do we live without hypocrisy? So they have, you have these three traits here as a model minister or as a, uh, and, uh, as giving praise to the Lord for what he's done. Now, we also see not only this uh, praise to the Lord, but we see powerful preaching. Powerful preaching. We see this in verse 19, as it says, Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to uh, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But it is written, to whom it was not spoken of, they shall see and they shall have not heard, shall understand. I want you to notice here that Paul also lists some traits of a faithful servant of Christ. It's the trait of the sanction of the Lord. Paul affirmed Paul's, or God affirmed Paul's ministry through his power. Signs, wonders, and the power of God. Now the word signs means miracles. Miracles prove that the person spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now they were greatly used in the early church to prove, especially to the Jews, that the message of the gospel was true. The most miraculous authentication of the gospel was not through signs and wonders. It was the salvation of a soul through the preaching of the word of God. Now today, the truth of the gospel is authenticated by God's complete word in the New Testament. We have his word today. 
God uses his word to change men's lives. And the power of the gospel is demonstrated by those lives that are transformed. We don't need the signs and the wonders. The signs are the miracles. Now it is a wonderful thing when a person comes to Christ. But how do they come to Christ? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Correct doctrine is an identifying mark of the truth. In Second John 1 and verse 10 it says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Faith comes through the word of God, not by miracles. Yes, Jesus performed many miracles, but well, he was still crucified by unbelievers. It says in John 2.23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Jesus did miracles, but not all believed. In John 6, 2, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And then down in verse 66, it says, from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus did many miracles, but they still left him. John eleven forty seven. then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in a council and said, What do we? For this man doth many miracles. And in verse 53, it says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. Jesus did all kinds of miracles, but they still plotted to, die, uh, to kill him. In the Old Testament, miracles did not change the heart of Pharaoh. And so faith comes by God's word, not by signs and wonders. But the signs and wonders were in the, in the Bible for authentic, uh, authentication. And when we have uh, now the complete word, so we have uh, what we need. We don't need the signs and the wonders. We have God's completed word. So you have the trait of the sanction of the Lord. Secondly, you have the trait of scrupulousness. There's a word for you. I don't know why I use those big words. They're hard to pronounce. (laughs) But it's a a word that's descriptive. Paul fully preached the gospel, even in Illyricum, which was between Italy and Greece. That's where Yugoslavia would be. Is there still Yugoslavia today? That may not even be uh, there today. Those countries change so much. It may be one of those stand countries, right? <laughs> I don't know. But when I taught geography, it was, it was Yugoslavia. So that was a long time ago. But it was a place that spanned 1,400 miles. We've not, we don't have a record of the events in those places, but Paul free, uh, fully preached the gospel. We do have... What he says in Acts 20 and verse 17, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul's desire was to preach the gospel in places it had never been preached before. Verse 20, this is not the minist- a ministry of all preachers. It's, it's not the uh, uh, wrong to build upon another man's foundation. Here's it says, Yea, I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was once named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. It's part of God's plan. Paul was faithful and did not quit. Read of Charles Spurgeon preaching to thousands in London each 
Lord's Day, and yet he started his ministry by passing out tracts and teaching a Sunday school class as a teenager. And when he began to give short addresses to the Sunday school, God blessed his ministry of the word. And he was invited to preach in obscure places in the countryside. And he was, he used every opportunity that was given to him to honor the Lord. He was faithful in small things and God trusted him with greater things. He said, I am perfectly sure that if I had not been willing to preach in those small gatherings of people in the obscure country places, I should never have had the privilege of preaching to thousands of men and women in the large buildings all over the land. Remember, he said, and he quotes, Whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so we have here, first of all, a model minister. Secondly, a passion to be, to be a blessing. Have you ever wanted to do something or have something so bad that you could almost taste it? You think about it. You dream about it. It becomes a passion in your life. That was the case of Paul's life. He had a passion to be a blessing to Christians, to the Christians he was trying to reach and the people he was trying to minister to. Look at verse 22. He says, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Now I want you to notice here, we have the desire of Paul. He goes on to say in verse 23, and now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Paul's desire was to preach in areas that had never heard the gospel. And that desire led to difficulties in opposition. Paul says, I was much hindered in getting to Rome. The word hindered is actually a word that means to cut or to cut out. He's used to describe the deep trenches that were dug across the roads to hinder an enemy army. This word was used to uh, describe any hindrance or obstacle. We could ask a Marine about that, couldn't we? Probably made some obstacles for the enemy too, didn't you? Now the tense of the word indicates a continuation. He was continually hindered from reaching them. And now that Paul had completed the task of preaching the gospel in Illyricum, he desires to see the Christians at Rome while he's on his way to Spain. Spain included the region of Tarsus. That's where Jonah was heading on his run away from God's will. Ships from Tarsus brought Solomon gold and silver every three years, according to 1 Kings chapter 10. And while in Rome, Paul hoped to be brought on his way to them. Again, that's a phrase that means to be helped. The word was used to describe the custom of uh, furnishing an escort or supplies for those who sent to minister in a distant field. And so after spending a time with the Romans, he was hoping to be assisted by them in his journey to Spain. It's a great truth in this passage. In spite of satanic opposition, God was still working behind the scenes in Paul's life. 
I think some of our missionaries sometimes experience this hindering. They have a great passion, a desire to get to a field that God's called to them, but it seems like there's obstacles, there's opposition along the way, and they desire to be helped. And we ought to be faithfully praying for them. We ought to be doing what we can to help those missionaries get to that place. Satan doesn't want them there. Satan doesn't want uh, uh, that kind of ministry going on. Remember Joseph's life. He was hindered in spite of slavery and imprisonment. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. And God is working in your life, whether you realize it or not. In spite of our obstacles, God is still working. Jeremiah 10.23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not man that walketh to direct his steps. Proverbs 16 and verse 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And the word directed comes from a Hebrew word which means to stabilize or to establish. God puts us on a firm foundation. And then Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Now that word ordered is the same word directeth there in Proverbs 16, 9. Satan tries to hinder us. He tries to make us ineffective for Christ. Now, how does he do that? How do, uh, does he try to do this? Well, notice some of the ways in which he does that. Now, I knew you wouldn't be able to copy all these down, so look on the back. They're on the back. Here's how Satan tries to hinder us. He tries to hinder us through disappointment. And I've given you a verse there to, to help you uh, to s- overcome that hindrance. Just remember... Romans 8.28, right? How God is working in your life and He's working according to His purpose. There's discouragement. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. There's despair. There's depression. There's doubt. 1 Timothy 2.8 talks about prayer and how important that is. There's disbelief. You know, you have to be cautious to whom you listen to. There's defilement. We need to realize our bodies are God's temple. There's deceit. We have a ministry to others. There's discord. God hates gossiping. God hates uh, uh, the uh, disruption of his work. There's dishonesty. We need to walk in truth. There's a delay that Satan often gives us, and we need to live for God today and keep living on for God tomorrow and the next day until he takes us home or until he comes back. There's dullness. That is taken care of through study and applying the Bible. There's deadness. That comes through applying the Bible truth in our life. There's defaming. That's getting rid of a critical spirit. There's disobedience. God wants our obedience to Him. There's double-mindedness. And the purpose God has given us is to serve Him. 
We can't, again, have our one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible. We've got to not be double-minded, but we've got to be single-minded. And our purpose is to serve the Lord. There's distractions. We need to keep our priorities right. And there's daydreaming. We need to guard our thought life. And then there's death. God allows Satan to kill at some points in some lives in that sense. And so those are ways in which Satan tries to hinder us. It's a lot of hindrance, isn't there? That means we're in a battle. Now, you go on, we find here the passion to be a blessing is also not only his desire, but the delivery of a gift. Verse 25. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And it hath pleased them... Verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Before Paul could come to Rome, he had to go to Jerusalem first to be a blessing to the saints that lived in that city. Jerusalem was 1,000 miles in the opposite direction of Rome. So he was taking the sweet way, wasn't he? He's taking the scenic route. Paul wanted to deliver a love offering from the Macedonian and Achaia Christians, uh, and he had a passion to be a blessing. If we turn over to the uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see in verse... Uh, one, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do uh, you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they are willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. When we talk about a contribution, that's a word that talks about fellowship and partnership and participation. The Gentile saints were jointly participating. They were having fellowship with the Jewish saints by sending this gift, this monetary gift. And they were bearing the burden of the Jewish Christians. And that's what fellowship is really all about. True fellowship desires to be a blessing to others. Gentile Christians were glad to send this gift with Paul. They wanted to be a blessing. They received spiritual wealth from the Jews and were indebted to them for their spiritual riches. And so they wanted to send a gift. Paul hoped that the Jews, Jewish saints would receive that in the hope of uniting the, them together. And so you have this delivery, the delivery of a gift. Thirdly, you have a deliverance that is sought. <coughs> Back in Romans chapter 15, verse 30. <coughs> it says, Now I beseech you, brethren... 
for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul is pleading here for their prayers. And the word that he uses to reveal that prayer is a battle here, uh, the fact that he pleads for it shows its importance. When you see the words there, strive together, that means it's not something that's going to be easy. That word, that phrase, strive together, is a, is a uh, boxing and a wrestling uh, term. It's to struggle or to fight. It's a word which we get our word, English word, agonize from. Paul was agonizing in prayer for the deliverance of, from his enemies. He sought deliverance from unbelieving Jews. He sought acceptance of Jewish Christians. He sought joy. He, he sought refreshment. He was concerned about doing the will of God, and we should be concerned about that as well. But now in closing, let me give you four things about God's will. Talked a little bit about being in God's will this morning, but notice four important things about God's will. Number one, God's will will be the guiding principle of our lives. James 4.15 says, For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. It's hard for me to say, well, I'll see you uh, Wednesday, when I don't know if we'll see each other on Wednesday. I'll see you on Wednesday, the Lord willing. Or I'll, I'll do this, or I'll do that, the Lord willing. You know, we don't know what's going to happen on tomorrow, do we? Depends on what God's will is. God's will will be the guiding principle of our life. Secondly, doing God's will requires our whole heart. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Don't just go through the motions. You know, it's, it's, I believe it's God's will to be in church on Sunday night. But don't just do it because you're expected to do it. Do it from the heart. And then thirdly, the desire to do God's will comes from the saturation of God's word. You want to be saturated with God's word, you've got to be in it day after day. For us to want to do God's will, we must put God's word in our heart, in our mind, in our souls. We need to read it, we need to study it, we need to listen to it, we need to be in church hearing it preached. Psalm 40 and verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And then fourthly, prayer is essential in knowing God's will. Prayer is a must for knowing God's will. Carrying it out, getting his direction. Psalm 143 and verse 10 says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. I wonder this evening, are you concerned about being and doing what God wants you to do in your life? Do you have a passion to be a blessing with uh, uh, to others with your life? Now Paul here is a model minister. 
He had a passion to be a blessing to others, and I hope that's our desire tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven,